Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we are talking American Animals from 2018, currently streaming on HBO Max. So we picked this movie because it's newly streaming on HBO, right? Yep. Do you remember when it was released? Uh Uh-uh. It premiered originally at Sundance. It seems like a Sundance kind of film, very innovative blending of formats and narrative styles. And it's globetrotting, it's stylistic, it still feels like a smaller festival-type movie, doesn't it? I think in the sense that it's experimental. And so is that the strength of this movie? It has a lot of fun, which I think is appropriate for the story content. Not unlike the Oceans movies, right, which it definitely trades on. They use the Elvis track, which has become the theme of the Oceans 11 remakes. Yeah, it's totally Ocean's Gone Wrong. Definitely self-aware. And obviously they went to Blockbuster and rented a bunch of heist movies and we got the pan across the titles. They definitely use movies as research. Yes. That was totally Disneyland effect in effect. It was self-aware in that way. And I almost expected any one of those guys to say, you know, hey, if this look at the bright side. If this does go wrong, we'll probably get a movie made about us, which might have been two on the nose. Like two meta? Uh-huh. But in one of the interviews, one of the interviewers said, you know, if you'd watched those movies all the way through, the crime capers and the heist movies that you were trying to emulate or at least reference in order to pull this off successfully, you would have seen that a lot of them don't end very well. Brian and I watched The Getaway recently. Uh I know, kind of random. Do you know that film? Is that the Kim Basinger, Alec Baldwin movie? That may have been the remake. This was the Steve McQueen version, and I think he plays against his wife. In real life. Okay. They certainly ride off into the Mexican sunset. But talking about The Getaway, so many of these movies have been remade. The heist genre is a tale as old as time. I mean, even the ones that they reference in the movie, the Oceans movies, and they watch The Thomas Crown Affair and The Getaway, and those are all remakes. Song as old as rhyme. American animals. The the concept of a glamorous heist is nothing new, but the fact that these dudes do it so badly is fresh. It makes it feel real. These guys, or at least initially Spencer, wanted to feel special. And Warren corroborates that, saying this enticed him or was intriguing to him because it would require extraordinary effort. Not ordinary effort, extraordinary effort. 
And we've talked at length about how successful criminals could be in a societally acceptable life if they just simply applied their extraordinary effort. But at the same time, they're not actors. They are the people who actually tied up and hurt a lady, albeit unintentionally, to steal some books. Well, they were carried along by the momentum of the heist and the peer pressure that they ended up hurting someone when that wasn't necessarily part of the plan, but it was totally intentional. I mean, they were committed enough to their heist job that they went the distance when the time called for it. Yeah, they knew they had to, and they always intended on incapacitating Betty with a stun gun, or BJ. BJ. (laughs) That's right. And do you think the stun gun was foreshadowed when Spencer comes back to his dorm and his roommate's watching some inane video of some dude stun gunning himself in the tongue? <laughs> I don't know that that was foreshadowing as much as much as it was accurate of what people watch when they pull up YouTube, <laughs> especially like dorm dude bros. Oh my gosh. Dorm dude bros are despicable, lazy, worthless beings. Horrible people, yeah. But to a degree, you have to give them credit. They were smart. They were enterprising. They're always looking for, as you've said, a a way to stand out, a way to make their lives important. They're doing all these things. But again, they're not lazy. They're just bored. And they want the quickest, most direct route to riches or wealth or notoriety. I mean, it was perpetrated on their campus, right? They were all students at this Kentucky University. Warren was at Kentucky University, but I think Spencer and the Audubon book was at Transylvania University. Yeah, Transylvania, which apparently is a real thing. Do you think that they were bad people? And that's the question. You see the arc, and you definitely see Warren, you know, being his goofy self and playing up his role, and he's the guy who's going to make it fun. He's the spice in the stew, but also were the most in Warren's face when he kind of sniffles a little bit at the memory of having to take the most unfortunately named woman of all time. Like, if you're going to tase someone and steal from her, her her name should be BJ Gooch, right? (laughs) He definitely has remorse, and they do, and they did their time. And I guess technically it was armed robbery and assault, right, with a deadly weapon potentially. But seven years... It felt at once like a really stiff sentence and also kind of not a lot for what they actually subjected this poor lady to. I wonder if someone had shown up and kicked in the glass of the room where they were stealing the Audubon book and held them at gunpoint, would they have taken B.J. Gooch hostage or would they have just given it up right then and there? It seems like they were pretty committed, right? So much so that when things didn't go well, they just ended up hauling. What was their plan to get 100 pounds of books out the door? That was a bit of an oversight, it seemed. But this movie definitely was self-aware. It actually showed us the movies that they were watching. And and that's kind of the point, because it wasn't a practical study of what real robberies would be and how they would be successful, because all they watched were stylized movies. And they viewed themselves Mm -hmm. in what we saw as the stylized previs of the robbery, right, where they're all cool looking and all their moves are deft and calculated and everything goes exactly to plan. Mm-hmm. And they have slicked back hair and stuff. It's more of a study in how hard it is to actually pull off a crime. Right. That is the result of this movie having watched a crime that was meticulously planned down to scale models and still went so horribly awry that every plan went out the window and they were making it up as they went along. So does something have to be off about these guys for them to have wanted to pull this off? I mean, probably. Like, I get peer pressure and I get momentum, but... 
at some point, somebody has to be off. Oh, well, sure. I think Warren is off enough so that he felt his quirkiness and his offbeatedness. He kind of followed that path and it led him to a bad area because both in real life, it would appear, you know, Spencer said, I don't know what my life would have been like had I not met Warren. And in the movie, he was definitely the mastermind character. I wondered how he felt when it came down to brass tacks how brutal he was and insistent that they restrain Betty and get it done, even when the other guy was completely faltering. He did get in her face and say he didn't want to hurt her, but in the meantime, he was, shut up, and, you know, and trying to get it, just get it done. He was pretty ruthless. He was. You know, the director had asked the guys not to meet with their real-life counterparts, and Evan Peters, in true Warren style, cheated and looked up Warren on Twitter, I think. And uh, they developed a relationship. But the reason that Bart Layton didn't want them to meet with these guys is because now they're older and wiser. And looking back, they would have done things differently or they would have maybe suggested to their actor counterparts, maybe you can play it a little bit differently than the way that you see, you know, given their their life experience post prison. And Evan Peters really played Warren as being desperate and maniacal and kind of ruthless up to a point. And I wonder how the real Warren feels seeing how he's portrayed on screen. You go for accuracy and authenticity, but also, like, I don't know that the Warren character is a likable character. I think Warren himself embraces that role, but the Evan Peters character was kind of tough at times. I mean, we even called into question his credibility in going to Amsterdam to meet the fence. Yeah, that was kind of a twist I didn't see coming. There were definitely discrepancies in their versions of the stories, but... That Amsterdam piece was a real mystery. It really called into question Warren's character. But he was so committed to the heist, I have to believe that he went to Amsterdam. But if he were able to set up some kind of relationship with the fence seems unlikely. I mean, their plan really falls apart when they're trying to sell the origin of species because obviously they don't have it together. I mean, they're using their personal phone numbers. They're using their personal email addresses. I think we can extend that to the theme of the movie as well. Does American Animals deserve to sit on the shelf at Blockbuster among the great heist movies that they aspired to? You know, this was an audacious crime perpetrated by kids. I mean, are we in agreement that they're still kids and they're dumb as a result? For sure. (laughs) And And they botched it so spectacularly that any of the idealized vision that they had of it beforehand just flies completely out the window. And it, I think we all knew that it was doomed to fail, right? As soon as we saw them put on the old man makeup and pile out of the van together, I was like, that's not... That old people make up, unless you have a million dollar crew of special effects wizards in the industry behind you, being face to face with someone in makeup that looks like that, they looked like kids, right? Absolutely. And and the costuming and makeup, I think they did intentionally over the top to project that point, like how ridiculous they looked and how they all stuck out like a sore thumb in their ridiculous hats, old man hats. Yeah, they never did a test. Well, I guess that ended up being a test run of the makeup, but they were never like, hey, we should put the wigs on and see if we look passable and don't look like two kids atop each other's shoulders trying to sneak into the movie in our tan (laughs) trench coats, right? But I I think it was no secret that they were going to fail. And when they, I admit I was surprised by how spectacularly 
their efforts failed on the actual day of the robbery. But we knew that it was going to be a tough sell because they're kids. And that's the question of this movie to me is whether or not it stands up as a heist movie. I came away feeling in a way that American Animals is the ultimate tribute band of heist movies. They love heist movies and they want to emulate it as closely as possible. But and, and they're all talented in their own ways. And all these dudes in Metallica cover bands and stuff are really good musicians, but they're just emulating Metallica. And they're never going to get the recognition that maybe their skill would deserve in some instances because they're still playing other people's music. Well, they were definitely play acting. They were trying to emulate their on-screen heroes I mean, I get your analogy and it's really fun, but if I were to adopt your analogy, I think it's more like they're just a bad band. Like, you know, maybe independently talented, but just not really gelling as a group. And they were just kids looking for glory who learned the hard way how hard it is to pull off a good crime and how unrealistic the movies just really are. So do you think this movie does itself a disservice by referencing higher profile crime and heist movies if it were just its own thing and didn't hearken to heist movies that they were trying to emulate it wouldn't have called attention to its inferiority in that way no i think it was just important to the kids stories and arcs as characters like they needed to see the best of the best to be inspired and to think that they could pull off something like that it served more to show the disparity between their heist and the movie heists than anything else. I mean, I think that the real success of this film is the way, format-wise, it differentiates itself from those movies, right? It's not, it's slick, it's pretty darn slick for recreation, but it's not straight-up narrative, and it's not necessarily documentary, but they use the narrative format and pretty interesting narrative devices, I think, to communicate there's something kind of off, right? We get the opening is very successful in setting this up. We get these inverted images that just suggest something's wrong. We get the direct comparisons between the kids and the animals themselves. The American Animals title, you know, pays off immediately. And then there are a couple other times throughout the film where I really felt like, man, the filmmaking is really getting to the heart of the story. Like, An example is when they were sitting at the shopping mall, like looking at the shenanigans, other kids lighting shopping carts on fire and doing donuts in the parking lot. You remember that? Yes. And Spencer's trying to have a heart to heart with Warren. And to Warren's credit, he doesn't back down. Right. He meets his friend at the reflective place that he's at. And Spencer talks about wanting to do something special, like wanting to stand out from the crowd. And then there's this really beautiful shot from outside the car window where Spencer's kind of framed like in the lower left-hand corner and he feels small and he feels lonely, like he's trapped. Like it was really beautiful. And I thought only in a narrative format can you really convey something like this. And it's legitimized, like kind of underscored by its nonfiction counterpart in the film. This wasn't recreation. This was a documentary subject with narrative elements. And I agree, it was there was definitely skill and style. And so it doesn't feel like a cheap movie to me. Just the fact that the subjects, by virtue of the fact that they're kids, essentially, makes me take it less serious than the Ocean's Eleven movies, which are <laughs> silly in and of themselves, but feature people that are easily twice these kids' age. 
Yeah, right? totally. But it's funny that you don't quite take them seriously because obviously the law did. The law did, for sure. But I think that that is the strength of this movie because it does have style and direction. It is deft in its blurring of the line of narrative and documentary filmmaking. I immediately, because of its style, began to question the legitimacy of the interview footage. Are these people real? Is this crime real? Is that actually the real Warren? Is that actually the real Spencer? Are those actually the people's parents? And I wasn't exactly sure because all of the guys are unreliable narrators and how they recollect those days, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. I wondered how much license would have been taken. You're immediately skeptical when you see that it says this is based on a true story and then they black out some of the words. So it says this is a true story which doesn't necessarily mean true anymore. Even based on a true story is pretty loose. Like Fargo said it was based on a true story, and that's a complete and total fabrication. The Coen brothers were like, we wanted it to be taken seriously, so we said it's a true story, and it's not. What? You're blowing my mind. Fargo is not really based on a true story? Nope. And despite them saying that, people still, to this day, poke around the side of the road in Minnesota looking for a bag of money. It didn't even take place in Fargo. It took place in Brainerd, Minnesota. Well, part of it did. Okay. It's interesting that the blurred line caused you to distrust the film. I felt like the blurred line really did serve to tell the story. It was a cool narrative device, especially because it ends up being more or less legitimized by all the participants. There's no twist at the end. They pretty much say up front, is that how it really happened? Well, that's not how I remember it, but if that's how what Warren says, then sure, let's go with it. So documentary is a genre where the best versions let the facts speak for themselves. But those, it didn't affect the veracity of the story for me because the details that were inconsistent weren't essential. Like if they initially broached the subject of pulling off a heist in a car or at a party, does that really matter? Right. Is it it really consequential if the dude was old or if he was young or if he was white haired or if he was dark haired? It just shows that our memories don't serve us well or it shows that people's experiences of an incident are always different. Yeah. I remember when Hani's little brother Peter got hit by a truck in front of us. Uh, I remember very clearly, and now I remember it was either a tan truck or a blue truck, and Honey remembers one of the other colors. I can't even remember now with the blurring which color I believed that truck was, but it always makes me think of that incident. That was also like 30 years ago. Right. But those details are obviously inconsequential. And because the details of him being in the bar or not at, you know, at a frat party or whatever, or the guy and what he looked like, what the fence contact looked like, because those are inconsequential to the story, it's a stylistic flourish, right? It's just, this is grounded in reality because in reality, total recall is not a thing. There's fallibility and inconsistency. And I think those were delivered in the movie because this movie doesn't take itself too seriously. It wants to be real, but also doesn't have to get all these key details down to a science where they profess that they have everything all figured out. I think this movie was supposed to be fun. And yeah, it was and it was fun in their planning until it wasn't fun. And then it got really serious. And you really felt for that poor lady. And they made sure to show a shot that she peed on herself because she was so afraid or oh. so in pain. And it's really hard to watch. And the inevitability of their capture. I mean, we knew they were caught the second they exited 
that auction house or maybe even before that, right? They knew they were caught. Oh, my God, phone number. What are we going to do? Well, the, the, I guess the smartest thing to do would be to give yourself up right then and there. Return the merchandise because you know you're being caught is an inevitability. I think Warren knew it too, even though he said you need to just relax. I mean, there's no getting around it. There's a chain of, of evidence and a trail to follow. And the fact that he gave up his real phone number, we all knew they were going to get caught, right? Right. But the movie up until that point was meant to be stylistic, fun, and I dare say light in tone. As much as they were perpetrating a crime in which somebody got injured, still, it was supposed to feel cool and it was supposed to be exciting and dangerous as these right. Kentucky kids who just wanted to get out of their crappy town wanted to feel. Exactly. Yeah, there's some of what you were saying for the opening images. It was definitely upside down and inverted and backwards. And we showed those kids who are longing for substance and excitement, doing donuts in the parking lot and setting shopping carts on fire. We did not grow up in a small Midwestern town, but I have to imagine that that's what it would be like. Well, I think it's a normal impulse, right, for a kid to want to figure out where they are in the world, where they stand in the world, and how they can set themselves apart. But these impulses went a little off, and Warren was a little crazy, and Spencer had the artist's sensibility. But I think it is a testament to their humanity that they don't hurt BJ more than they do. Like, when you look at the body count in these heist films, it's like human life has no value whatsoever. And the fact that we were so offended and, like, the fact that BJ gets bound and she pees herself affects us so deeply. And the fact that they are so kind of hard on themselves for what they did do, the, the crime they did perpetrate against her person, is kind of a testament to all of our humanities. Like, they're still kind of intact even though we can watch a movie like Extraction and be completely desensitized to a hundred plus body count. It's the power and the weight of a true story, I guess. Although you said we can, it's relatable. I certainly wasn't rowdy or didn't steal things or anything when Are I was a kid. Are you kidding me? What? <laughs> when you got caught for shoplifting, did you cry? Uh, no, I faked crying. Because they said, you have two choices here. They were playing good cop, bad cop. Do you want us, you want to go to jail? Or do you want us to call your dad? And I was like, no, take me to jail. And then, of course, he told dad that. He was like, hey, uh, so your kid, uh, he says he doesn't want to go home with you. He said he'd rather go to jail than have us released. You know you know what that's about? And dad was more mad about that than the fact that I stole a video game. So you were, you were trying to get sympathy by suggesting you had an abusive father? I don't recall. I didn't. I wasn't suggesting that. I was like, hey, no, take me away because I don't want to go home because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> and then to be fair, dad took me home anyway. And he said what exactly what his dad had said 30 years before when dad was caught stealing records, which is what are you doing getting caught? Exactly. And, and then he took me home and pushed me through the door and said, you know, you're not watching Married with Children tonight. <laughs> Did you have any remorse whatsoever? No, but that's the point. I was a kid and I was selfish and I had no concept of what stealing a $50 video game would do to Target as an entity. Victimless crime. Right. And this was not a victimless crime. And had it come to that for me in the room stealing the book where I had to hurt someone, I wouldn't have been able to go through with it. And they 
got desperate and they got reckless and did things that they shouldn't have done because there was no easy backing out. Is this a good heist movie? Uh, no, because there are better heist movies. I know that we can't compare it in that way, but also because it was a really unsuccessful heist movie. But it was definitely a narratively strong documentary. If it did qualify as a documentary, which I don't believe it does, it was more compelling and emotionally driven than a, a straightforward, you know, reporting after the facts doc. Does it doesn't it make it not a documentary. Yeah, of course it does. Documentaries go nowhere and nobody sees them. Stop it. By and large. No, I'm serious. It's great that some documentaries kind of fit into the zeitgeist and people embrace them. But by and large, documentary filmmakers don't come away with a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of deals. Successful documentaries like successful narrative films break through. This totally operates like a documentary. It's a nonfiction story. It includes the subjects. Basically, it's like a documentary with recreations on steroids. And yet less than a full-blown fictional film, you know, that was heavily stylized and had maybe more legitimate, more believable actors in their roles. As B.J. Gooch said, when Warren walks into the room, I expected someone much older. And it's true, because they all look like babies because they were babies. But applying that to the larger theme of the movie, American Animals definitely went under the radar. I'm pretty keen on movies like this. I like movies like this. And still, it was it was one that I hadn't heard of. It was recommended by The Sneak of All People. And it's a movie that you didn't see until it became available on HBO Now. Despite having gone to like four of the last six Sundances. Yep. So I'm predicting a solid all right. I'm giving, I'm delivering a solid all right. Because it did transcend that genre. It blurred a line and it was entertaining in that way. It was both fun and then emotionally real and dramatic and, and appropriately heavy in penance for the crimes that these people actually committed. And its message is a little bit harder to take away than crime is bad, okay, because also crime is kind of fun, especially when applied to dramatic movies. You were talking about the body count for heist movies, and those are when we are on the side of the cops looking for bank robbers like Bonnie and Clyde or whatever. But in the Oceans movies, in the Thomas Crown Affair, nobody gets hurt. They don't want anybody to get hurt. Some people get gassed or something or get knocked out, but that's about it. It depends on which side we align ourselves. And uh, so this movie... If we align ourselves in the documentary side, then it was a really compelling, really dramatic doc. If it's just a narrative film, it was one that was stunted at times by the inclusion of addressing the inconsistencies between the narrative story and the real story and how that worked. As a film that uses format and service of story, I think it's a real success. It They use whatever kind of format's necessary to underscore the reality of the situation, the gravity of the situation, and also the fun of the situation. They had a lot of fun doing it. I think it was important for us to feel the excitement and a little bit of the glory of the crime for us to feel the full weight of the consequences. So ultimately, I feel like it's a successful film. I think it's good. I agree. You should watch it now on HBO Max. And HBO Max doesn't sponsor us, so you can take these reviews at face value. I mean, there's an opportunity. They could sponsor us if they wanted, just saying. Yeah. I mean, we'd probably be open to that. So that's our review on American Animals, currently streaming and available on HBO Max. Thank you, Patreon patrons, for your patronage. We appreciate it. Couldn't do it without you. Please let us know what you think. 818 
835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.